0: talking about God, God is a God who wants to communicate with us and commune with us, an important part of our relationship with our Heavenly Father is our prayer to Him, our response to His Word to us. He comes to us with His Word and, and that Word, that Word of promise particularly, but also that His Word of command asks us to respond in one way or another. In our world we can go into any bookstore and we can find books on how to pray. People are searching for, for patterns for prayer, for encouragement to pray, for ways of, of getting in touch with God.
1: Um, how did Luther approach those kinds of questions? Well, you're quite right in terms of looking to uh, bookstores for patterns. I recall, for example, Uh, running across one that said acts, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, Mm -hmm. and supplication, that that's how prayer should be structured. Uh, And I also think we have a lot of slogans in our day and age. For example, uh, the power of prayer, prayer changes things, Mm -hmm. Uh, pray until something happens. Each one of these, interestingly, has a theology behind it. Uh, I suspect that people turn to these books, including Lutherans, because... Sometimes I don't think Lutherans have much of a developed uh, theology of prayer. Mm -hmm. Uh, And maybe not recently, but I would sure like to think that in Luther's case, particularly in the catechism, he does. And for him, he always turns to the Lord's Prayer both as a model for how to pray, Mm -hmm. teaching us what to pray for, and at the same time as a theology of prayer. In other words, what is prayer, what does it do? Um, why do we pray, and so forth. Now, using the Lord's Prayer as something of a template can be a little bit of a problem, I suppose, because we know it so well. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. I suspect for most people, it's the first prayer they ever learned. Uh, Jim Neskin one time suggested that people learn the Lord's Prayer by hitchhiking on the back word of each phrase. So we have, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, Thy will be done. Um, at the same time, it's probably the last prayer that most Christians pray before they close their eyes for the final time. Luther himself observed that the Lord's Prayer might also be the greatest martyr on earth because people pray it several thousand times during the course of a year and very few draw any comfort or strength from it. And therein lies a bit of our dilemma. Um, How can we reinvigorate our prayer life, particularly uh, the Lord's Prayer? And so I think in the Catechism, Luther tries to do that both in terms of unpacking uh, the theology of prayer, the basis for prayer, uh, the nature of prayer, as well as providing us with a model for prayer. What then is Luther's real basis for our praying? Well, I think it provides a very helpful corrective for our contemporary age. I think uh, we today tend to have a very anthropocentric or human-centered approach to prayer. Uh, Martin Marty, the well-known Lutheran historian, one time observed, he suggested that uh, for many American Christians, they think of prayer in the shape of the St. Louis Arch, whereby we toss our prayers up to God, and then God drops his answers down to us. He went on to suggest that uh, prayer in the catechism is more the image of an upside-down St. Louis arch. That is to say, prayer begins with God's word. In other words, it's first God's word to us, and then we respond to that word to God. So prayer, or the starting point for prayer, is God, not us. And prayer responds to God. Well, What in particular is prayer responding to? In the large catechism, Luther cites two primary uh, bases: namely the command and the promise. Uh, God's command to pray, and here prayer reaches back into the second commandment that we observed uh, a couple of sessions ago. And the promise, in a sense, reaches back to the creed. Well, in this way, the Lord's Prayer is actually the culmination or capstone of the first three parts of the catechism building upon both of them. Now, with the command, um, Luther develops this in such a way as to emphasize, how shall I put it? I want to say God's hegemony over our lives. I just like that word, but we might say God's uh, lordship over our lives. That is to say, prayer is not an optional matter for us. God doesn't say something like, well, when you have a free moment, I'd like to hear from you. Or when you have some time, I'd like to hear from you. Luther uses the command in order to address those whom you might call the overly pious kind of people. That is to say, those who might say, well, I'm not going to pray simply by rote memory. I'm not simply going to utter the words. Prayer isn't prayer unless it's the outpouring Of the overburdened heart. Prayer isn't prayer unless it is prayed sincerely with a certain heartfeltness. Spontaneously. Or spontaneously, exactly. I think Luther recognizes if that's the reason why we pray, then our prayers are going to be far and few between. Not only that, when they come, they're my performance. And they're my performance. And I'm going to pray when I feel like praying. Mm -hmm. Because... After all, it's got to be a good prayer, a sincere prayer, otherwise it's not worse, something. Well, Luther uses the command to say, I don't care whether you feel like it or not, pray. I want to hear from you. But it's not only a threat. He actually will treat the command a little bit like a promise. It's almost like a parent uh, exhorting a child with homework saying, I want to help you. Ask me to help. It's a way of expressing how sincerely... He wants to hear our prayer and how sincerely he wants to answer our prayer. So whether you feel like it or not, whether it's sincere or not, pray. <laughs> but that's only half of it. But that is the
0: nature of the creator you were describing as we talked about the first article. He wants to be in communication with us. It's the nature of the human creature uh, that
1: he created in his own image to want to communicate with with. God very much so Um, and that's a very good uh, way of looking at it and connecting the creed and Lord's prayer together but the command is only half of it and this also goes to the uh, nature of the creator because in addition to the command Luther stresses the promise and if the command emphasizes God's lordship the promise is to emphasize the nature of that lordship namely God's graciousness and goodness By means of the promise, Luther, I think, is addressing those um, people who feel either unworthy to pray or are going to pray on the off chance. In other words, the point of emphasizing the promise is that we pray with boldness and confidence. Mm -hmm. In other words, our prayers aren't to be like this. Well, I've tried everything else. Nothing has worked. Why not give God a shot? Who knows? I might get lucky. He may even answer my prayer. And I suppose
0: we've all prayed like that.
1: I suspect that we have. But that kind of praying is not praying with faith or confidence Mm -hmm. or boldness. It is more of a prayer of um, throwing the dice. Mm -hmm. Uh, Hopefully, you might catch God on a good day, and uh, he'll answer your prayer. Uh, Maybe a little bit more like treating prayer as a lottery, than anything uh-huh, else. Uh-huh. So with the promise, Luther stresses that we are to pray with all boldness and confidence. And this is what he accents in the introduction of the Lord's Prayer of the Small Catechism, that with these words, our Father, he sees a promise there. With these words, God tenderly invites us to believe that he is truly our Father. We are truly his children. Uh-huh. Why? So that with all boldness and confidence, we may ask him as beloved children, ask their beloved Father. Now with here we have a clue to the nature of prayer for Luther. Prayer isn't prayer if you haven't asked for something. To pray is to ask. Hmm. He notes that Jesus gave us seven statements that we call seven petitions. Hmm. Now, this may sound somewhat self-centered, but it actually reflects our situation. We always are addressing God out of actual outer or inner need. Hmm. It reflects the nature of faith. Faith receives God's gifts. So the position of the human creature before the creator or the sinner before his savior or judge mm-hmm. is that of speaking to God out of need. Dependence. And dependence, and therefore the nature of prayer um, being primarily, not exclusive, but primarily uh, that of petition. Mm-hmm. Well, and as Luther develops the way we are to pray, are there themes that run through the entire Well, this is, I think, one of the uh, great things about what he does in the uh, large catechism in particular. It's there in the small catechism, but not quite as explicit. That is to say, if there is a single theme that runs through, it is the theme that, above all else, we pray for faith. And so, for example, and I think you'll be talking about this a little bit later on, um, we pray that God's name be hallowed among us. We pray his kingdom come mm-hmm. to us. We pray his will be done among us. We pray to, that we receive daily bread with thanksgiving and so forth. Um, that we pray that God um, enable us to receive his gifts. We pray for faith to receive the gifts that God has promised us in the three articles of the creed. At the same time, however, we are also praying against unbelief. And this is the theme that he picks up in the large catechism. That is to say, for Luther, the Lord's Prayer could be described as the battle cry of faith. For in the moment that we turn to God in prayer, we're turning our backs on Satan, and that is tantamount to a declaration of war. Uh So it is the Lord's Prayer where we find both a theme of, you might say, spiritual warfare and a theology of the cross. And I think it ties into the creed very nicely in this way. There is a sense where in the second article of the creed and in the life of Jesus, Satan spent all of his energy and all of his time trying to prevent Jesus from accomplishing our redemption, trying to get Christ to forsake his mission, trying to prevent him from achieving our redemption. He failed. Having failed... He now devotes all of his energies toward preventing us from receiving and enjoying the benefits that Christ has accomplished. Um, in this regard, I think uh, C.S. Lewis's Screwtape Letters captures Luther's thinking very nicely here. Uh, this is a book that describes, uh, or is a series of letters between an apprentice devil and a master devil. The apprentice devil named screw, uh, Wormwood, the, his uncle, the master devil, being Screwtape. Uh, Wormwood has been assigned a um, young man in England uh, who's a non-Christian, and his job is to keep the man from becoming a Christian. When the man starts becoming interested in Christianity, Wormwood starts writing letters back home saying, what do I do to prevent him from from becoming a Christian? And when the young man becomes a Christian, what do I do to make him fall from faith? And then Tape provides all kinds of advice. Well, in Luther's petitions, there is a growing crescendo, especially in the large catechism, where Satan, seeking to deprive us of God's name, begins emerging as a theme in the first petition. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then becomes louder and louder as the petitions go on. So that by the time you get to the sixth petition and the seventh petition, um, Satan, um, our flesh, and the world... Dominant theme, so that by the seventh petition, Luther actually says, "Deliver us from the uh, evil one." So the Lord's prayer depicts the what you could call, I suppose, the struggle for faith against unbelief, and that
0: battle cry calls us to a, a field of combat. Then, every day when we pray the Lord's prayer, we're we're going to battle against the devil, the world, and our flesh. And I think it's worthwhile taking some time to uh, look at the individual weapons in God's arsenal, in the arsenal of this Lord's Prayer. In our next time together, we'll talk about the first three petitions, the so-called Thy Petitions, where we talk about the work of God in our lives.